On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking about Hamilton's real estate market. We talk about it now and then, but the numbers that are out now are absolutely beyond anything we've probably seen before. The difference in sale prices in parts of Hamilton from January of 2020 to January of 2021 will blow your mind. Stick around to find out what's going on with that. We're also going to talk about your taxes. I know taxes, right? There's a lot of stuff going on with your taxes this year as you start to figure them out. Because if you've been working from home, suddenly things are way more complicated. Or are they? Stick around to find that out as well. And we're talking Blue Jays. Spring training is upon us. Yes, spring is here. I know, don't look out your window. But spring is here. We're going to talk with Caitlin McGrath from The Athletic about the Blue Jays who start spring training this week. Stick around. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Let me read you a couple paragraphs from a story that's on the spec.com right now that I think, uh, well, I think it's very illustrative. And a lot of people talking about this today. Here it is. When Lori McConomy and Matt Lidstone bought 351 East 27th Street, a modest wartime house near Fennel and Upper Sherman Avenues, they paid $430,000. Seven months later, they sold it for almost double what they paid, $828,800. Quote, we didn't even make it to offer day because people were sending us preemptive offers. We didn't expect it. Well, the story goes on. From there, um, many places in this area, the numbers have gone up and up and up. 27.6% is the average increase in housing prices in Hamilton year over year. In Glenbrook, Ancaster, Dundas, Stony Creek, and Flamborough, the average home sale price is 40.1% higher today than it was in January of 2020. In a year, House prices have gone up by an average of about 40% in the suburbs. It is stunning. We've, we talk about real estate and we talk about the housing market on this show now and then. These numbers are stunning. I want to bring in Dr. Merteza Hader. He is a professor of data science and real estate management at Ryerson University. He also serves as the research director of the Urban Analytics Institute. Dr. Hader, thank you so much for the time today. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Uh, for, for decades, maybe longer than for decades, I don't know, but for decades anyway, we have heard that real estate is the perfect investment. You, you can't make more land. Land is finite. Therefore, if you buy a piece of it, it's only going to go up in value. And I think that's a theory that most of us believe has great merit and is probably true. But with some of the prices that we are now seeing and the increases, I just can't fathom how that continues to hold and this continues to go up. Can it? Can this theory continue to hold? Um, well, uh, the rates that you have mentioned, or the numbers that I see, which is which are reported by the Canadian Real Estate Association, um, and they are showing about 23, 24% increase uh, for um, homes um, after uh, controlling for quality and size, so that you are comparing apples to apples. Um, the this kind of twenty uh, percent or more, or even ten percent annual increase is quite dramatic. But the reality is, especially for the Greater Toronto area, if you look at the increase in property values since 1998, you would see that um, on average, um, in every ten years, the prices double, which is roughly ten percent 
um, um, on average increase, not compounded, but on average 10% increase. So um, this has been the growth rate for housing prices. And this has also been a period where interest rates have been extremely low, more so now than before. So you put all these things together that a um, our economy has not faltered under COVID-19. The um, Liberal government in Ottawa and the Conservative government in uh, in Queens Park have been able to uh, keep the society and the economy going. Um, at the same time, the interest rates have been record low. Just to keep the um, to, to facilitate growth of the economy, you have to keep the interest rates ultra low, which is the case today. And then if you have the demand and if you have um, the conducive environment, then you see such growth. As I said, 10% increase on average we saw year over year for many years since 1998. But would we see a 20% increase year over year? The answer is no. This cannot sustain for 10 years or five years. Um, So uh, the the challenge is that um, the, the people are at home. Um, they are spending more time at home. They get frustrated with what they have. So there's a desire to move. And, and that desire to move results into looking for new homes. And then uh, lower interest rates allow you to pay more than what you would have paid otherwise. So all these things coming together have created the situation. For me, it's uh, quite a surprise that just a few months ago, CMHC was predicting an 18% decline, yes. up to an 18% decline. Yes. For this time around, they said, Early January, February, maybe March, April of uh, 2021, you would see up to a decline of 18%. But now you and I are looking at uh, a year-over-year increase of at least 20, 23% if you go by Korea numbers. And if you just re- compare raw numbers, that could be much higher. So sometimes, you know, for me, it just tells me to be very careful with what you forecast because... Uh, economies and especially consumers have a tendency to prove you wrong every time have we not though are we not at the point where most first-time home buyers not all but most have been effectively priced out of the market though well i don't know i don't think so because for a significant um, number of uh, buyers are still going to be first-time home buyers and actually if you look at the percentage of homes bought most of the homes are bought by first-time home buyers um, and I, I don't have data in front of me, but I would assume that even now, 30 to 40 percent of the dwelling units bought today will be bought by would have been bought by first-time home buyers. And this is the reality of the marketplace that we think it is so unaffordable that the people have been priced out of the market. But then you realize that people are still buying and the prices are still rising. You know, there's a saying that um, uh, somebody said that I, I think it's been attributed to. Someone, is, but it, the same goes like this. So we say, you know, that that place is so busy you can't go in, get in. Like you know, that's right. Point, yeah. So busy. So it's so busy you can't get in. Nobody goes there anymore. Well, if nobody yep. goes there anymore, why there's lineups, right? So if nobody can afford this housing, then who's buying it, right? I think people this this reluctance on our part to admit that people can still afford to buy this is is the miss is the disconnect uh, that people mm. have money they can buy it and they're buying it. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Dr. Hader, I have to believe it may be a giant coincidence, but as you say, real estate value generally always goes up, but then we see a massive increase like this 
right at the same time that we're in the middle of a pandemic, there has to be some kind of connection between COVID and these prices. Yes, I think the main uh, connection is the working from home, the teleworking uh, phenomena. And we wrote about it uh, at our institute, the Urban Analytics Institute in May and issued a report in which we said that people will increasingly realize that they don't have to be confined to their 500 square feet condo in downtown Toronto um, if they could work from home and they can afford to have a bigger space. And that's why there has been um, uh, sort of a move outwards, not an exodus. It's, it's, it's uh, too premature or too, uh, it would be mis- misleading to assume that people are abandoning cities. They're not. But those who can and decide more space have just realized that Hamilton is a great place, have just realized that uh, Barrie, Ontario is a great place, have realized that the Oshawa is a great place. So that's what has happened, that people realize that if you take that necess- necessity for commuting uh, to downtown Toronto or to uh, employment hubs, then people can work from home. And that is the reason why you see um, uh, the price of uh, low-rise housing um, increasing and, and, and faster. So if you just look at Hamilton, Burlington area, I've got data in front of me. This is data from Canadian Real Estate Association. These are the benchmark prices which are controlled for size and quality. Um, I see that the apartment benchmark prices have only increased by 7% from January 20 to January 21. The year-over-year increase is merely 7% for apartments in, in the same area where uh, townhouse benchmark prices have increased by 26% and two-story benchmark housing prices have increased by 23%. So you could clearly see mm-hmm. that the demand for housing that has increased is not for apartments that desire for everybody in a condo or an apartment building going up and down the elevators. That has not really happened. But what really happened is that this demand for space, the demand for backyard, being able to walk um, in, in sort of broader, wider streets, um, and have a have a, uh, have a background for the children to play. That has led people out of the core of the cities um, to to the out, outskirts. Our column to the, tomorrow in the National Post is actually looking at the cottage country around the Greater Toronto area. We are looking at Quartha Lakes and Muskoka and Halliburton and Barry District and Simcoe County, where the similar phenomena is being observed. That waterfront properties. You, there was one property that just sold a few days ago. There were 71 offers on one property alone, 71 offers. So you could see that the pe- people have realized that there's life beyond the downtown. There's life beyond the urban core. And when you see places like Hamilton that have, you know, that have entertainment, that have got restaurants, that have got movie theaters, that have got everything, the, and, and the prices are relatively cheaper, so you would see people moving out to places where they can have more of housing. It's a demand for low-rise housing. It's not a demand for high-rise housing. People are, I think, avoiding anything that involves an elevator, and apartments and condominiums do involve elevators. That's why you see only a 7% year-over-year. Do you think that's Hamilton. temporary? Do, though, do you think, um, is this a phase, and in a year from now, are we suddenly going to see the rush back to the cities if COVID is gone? No, because see, um, it's it's temporary, but the rush back to the cities would not happen in a way because when when people start moving back to the core of the cities, the prices would increase there much much faster than what you're seeing now in Hamilton and Oshawa and other places. Why? Because the supply of housing is even more limited in the urban core because it's a smaller place, already tightly packed, already high density. They have much trouble squeezing more housing there. So that's why I think when the demand moves back to the urban core, the prices would rise there faster, further 
um, um, preventing people from or keeping people out if they if affordability is a concern. So I think the gain for suburbs and outer suburbs um, are sort of permanent in this case. The other thing is, um, which I mentioned earlier, the working from home, and many people are saying it's a temporary phenomenon. And I agree. It's a temporary phenomenon that people are working all the time from their home. That is five days a week they're home. But it's not going to be that people would just abandon working from home and go straight to five days working from office. It's going to be a hybrid phenomenon. But let's just think for a second. Imagine for a second that people settle for for a situation where you say, oh, I'm going to work two days out of a week from home. So two out of five days, you're working from home. Three out of five days, you're working from office. Two out of five days means 40% of the time you are working from home. That's a reduction of 40% of your commitment, your time commitment to work. And then imagine how this translates into lower demand for office space, lower demand for services, restaurants, and others that you consume at the office space. So all these things are going to have a long-lasting effect. Yes, this type of significant focus on suburbs or working from home um, is not going to be as much in the long term, but the trend will last at a lower pace, but it will certainly last. I think this, this is a big shift. What I would call it, it's a spatial disequilibrium because we have shifted the equilibrium of cities where people lived and where people worked. That used to be the case. We had an understanding of it for the last 200 years. This COVID-19 has shifted that in a significant way. Fascinating stuff. Dr. Merteza Hader from Ryerson University. Thank you as always for the time. Very much appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you very much. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. It's that favorite, favorite, favorite time of the year again for everybody. We're getting close to it anyway. Tax season. Time to sit down and do your taxes. It was this or clip your toenails with garden shears. About equal on the general happiness and enjoyment scale. I mean, even with programs like Quick Tax and other things that you can find online, uh, for most people, still not fun, still not a highlight of their year. It's a giant pain to go find all the documents, make sure you've got all the T4s and T4As and this and that and the other, the receipts, the charitable receipts, all the stuff. Find last year's paperwork to have the right numbers that you need to plug in um, and then if you're like me, you're always worried, what have I forgotten here? Have I forgotten? Have I left something out? Did I put something in the wrong place? Am I going to have the tax people coming after me because I somehow messed this up, even though I'm following a program that makes it almost unmess upable? Well, never say never. Well, all that said, this year may be even less fun, if you can believe it. I know, I know, hard to imagine, but yes, it's possible because with people working from home, many of them anyway, and doing so much stuff at home now, there are all kinds of new tax breaks and new grants and new exemptions and things you can write off and this and that and the other. It's only going to get more complicated when you sit down. Isn't that fun to think about? Even more complicated. It's not just going to be a half a bottle of booze to get through it. It's going to be a full bottle of booze to get through doing your taxes. (sighs) Let me bring in Don Fox. He is the co-host of Planning Your Financial Future that you can hear every Saturday morning here on CHML at 8 a.m. Don, you do this stuff regularly. You do taxes for people all the time. Do even you like tax season? Well, uh, when I say people, you're absolutely right, I do. I look at a lot of tax returns. I review them with clients. It's part of a financial planning process. And certainly, you need to get your hands dirty every so often. I I do about eight tax return uh, family members. And... 
but yeah, I, I, you have to know what to look for. It's not simply, and I, and you know, you made a good point, Scott, you're just put filling in numbers into a program. It's half the battle, but it's better. It's, it's even better if you understand why those numbers are there and are they a deduction? Are they a credit? Are you missing anything? And it can be very complicated without a doubt. Well, yeah, Don, every year, I mean, literally every year, and I think the same thing, but I've heard it from people. Every year I hear people talk about, we should make this simpler. The government should make this simpler. We should just, I don't know, put in a flat tax or something or, or find other ways to uncomplicate this. That's never going to happen, is it? Well, this is your day, Scott. Really? This is it. This, actually, if there's one thing now, grant you, it is called a temporary flat tax, flat rate this year. And for those people that were sent home because of COVID or elected to work from home, they now have a temporary, easy method to get a deduction. This has never happened before, Scott. You're absolutely right. Normally, it is a, it's a big form that you your head spins just looking at where to, can you even understand it? But this time, they've come up with this uh, a, up to a $400 tax deduction that you can claim based on the amount of days you had to work from home. And you don't have to have your employer sign it. You don't have to measure out the square footage in your house. Uh, in fact, it's, it's your own morals that are dictating how many days that you actually work from home. You have to, you get $2 per day up to $400. And you basically just had to say you had to work half the time at home and you did have to work four consecutive weeks, full-time or part-time at home to get that $2 per day up to $400. But there's, there's no audit on this. So you be the judge on that, of what, how much you can claim, but it is, uh, the rules are $2 a day. All right. And, and that, and, and you know what, that is nice that that part is going to be easy because, you know, I was sort of thinking about this earlier today that, um, you know, if you put a few politicians and a few bureaucrats and a few accountants in a room together and told them to work on figuring out how to tie a shoelace, they'll emerge with a 45 page document that nobody can understand <laughs> with rules and regulations and seven permits and a safety check and 12 forms to fill out before, you know, like it, they look for ways it seems. So this is nice that there is one, one part of it is theoretically going to be easy where this starts to get complicated though, Don, is that that's, that's a great start. But there are other things that are potentially involved with working from home that you could theoretically, if you want to, that you could claim. Yes. And so that's the other method. That's called the detailed method where you need to have your employer sign what's called a T2200. Or there's also a, a, apparently a simplified version of this called a T2200S, S for simplified. I'm not quite sure how more simplified it is, but <laughs> that is actually the forms. And that's where you're, that's what you're alluding to, Scott. Absolutely. And this, and I'm sure, um, you know, you probably yourself, um, have to work from home and this year particularly, I, I'm assuming you're, you're at home now, are you not? I am indeed. And so I'm earning tax from, breaks as we speak. <laughs> you got it. Absolutely. <laughs> and so you want to have a big footprint of your office space so that you can deduct more of your, your mortgage. Um, so basically salaried employees. And commission employees can claim electricity, heat, water, utilities, which would be heat, hydro, water, um, condo fees, if you're in a condominium, internet access fees, maintenance, minor repairs, 
um, or rent, a portion of the rent. And so that's regardless if you're a commission employee or a salaried employee. And this is based on the footprint of your workspace. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. You were mentioning before that you could claim, say, you know, a portion of your electricity and heat and condo fees and everything else. Does the $400 cover that? And if you take the $400 thing, does that wipe out all those other things or can they run simultaneous? Uh, Great question, Scott. And those are separate. You cannot have both. It's one or the other. And so the $400 one is really meant for that one-off. It's only for the 2020 tax year, by the way. It's a temporary measure. And it's just to make it simple for a lot of people, hopefully, will be heading back to work and in an office environment or wherever they may be working. And so they're they're looking at this as a one-off. Hey, who knows how long this may last? Maybe they'll come back with a temporary for this year too. But for 2020, that $400, that's a maximum. And there is no other uh, administrative to that. There's, they don't have to worry about how many square feet you used and how much electricity you used. You don't have to have bills. You don't have to have, you don't have to have any documents to back up your claim. So that makes it a lot easier, but as someone who has looked through these things before, if I were to sit down and I was an average person in an average house in an average office using my computer in an average amount and all that stuff is $400 roughly what I would get, or am I really giving the government a lot of money simply by not having to do the work? Am I, am I shortchanging myself by making my life easier? In a lot of sick cases, I would say you're shortchanging yourself. In your case, particularly Scott, you're working from home. You're not visiting the office at all. It's and and again, you have to look at the amount of square feet in your house, um, yeah. and then you you can work out both ways to see which is better for you. That being said, you need to have your employer sign the T twenty two hundred form. Now, this is a pretty common form, and employers generally sign this, so it's not an issue. But I guess what they wanted to come out with was for a simple kind of situation, uh, two bucks a day should cover the portion of hydro and everything else you're using for the house. And you don't need the employers to sign a a ton of forms for the employees. But I agree with you, Scott. I think a lot of people would be shortchanging themselves. So when you take, let's say, 20% of your house or condo is being used for office space, and you literally have to measure it out. So you take a look at your square footage, including common space, hallways, and it's usable space. So if it's unusable, it's unfinished. So this is only finished space. And then you say, okay, I'm using 20% for office. Well, if your hydro bill and gas, so let's say they're both $200 a month each, you know, there's $2,400 just on those two alone. And 20% of that, there's $480 right there. Yeah. We can get into water, uh, home internet, any kind of maintenance that had to do with the office space only. Or in, in, you know, if you're renting a portion of the rent. So to your point, absolutely. It, it's worth to, it's a worth your effort in a lot of cases to look at both options to see which way is better. My office here at home, and maybe this is the same with other people, but my office is probably the smallest room in the house and it's fine. It works totally fine for me, but am I an idiot if I was going to do this for not choosing the biggest room in the house to call my office and just set my computer. Cause then I could claim a whole lot more. Am I, did I make a colossal strategic mistake by choosing a small room? No, because they actually look what's reasonable. So if it's an open, 
say you have an open concept house and you happen to have your desk in the corner, you cannot claim that whole room. I couldn't put a computer on the other side as well and swing back and forth and say I have to use the whole thing? <laughs> no, you can't do that. And a lot of people are actually using the kitchen table. And yeah. so if you're working, say, 40 hours a week, they look at how many hours a week is there, and you're working 40 hours of those are on the kitchen table. So they look at the percentage of hours you're using that common space for two different things, part personal, part work. You don't have to do that if you have your own office. So if you have a room for your office, then you don't have to worry about hours you're using it to work. You just get to write off that percentage. Are they going to check? And, and I mean, from past experience, my experience is that if you put something new on a on a tax form, if you're filling it out and all of a sudden there's a new, um, something you're writing off or, or, or something that's not been there before, it can, tends to catch their attention. Now, millions of people are going to be filling out new stuff this year because of this. So do you expect that if you did write off a bigger room than you could have or something else, do you think they're going to find you or is this year so overwhelming that, I mean, I'm not telling anyone to cheat. I don't mean that, but that, (laughs) but that they, but you know, if you say, well, I use a kitchen and I've, I mean, you, you get where I'm coming from. Are, do you expect that they're going to be cracking down all over the place or is this a year when they're just so swamped that that's unlikely? I'm actually surprised you didn't get a call from the CRA audit department just on that comment there, Scott. (laughs) I may well still. I (laughs) may well still. You might be, uh, if 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 you call display, you might want to watch that. But uh, no, it's, you know. I get those calls anyway, don't you? I get them four (laughs) times a day now from the legal department. the, the, The scammers. But you know what? Taxes are based on merit. Um, they, you have a moral obligation, try to fill it in as best you can. And they do audit occasionally. And generally speaking, if it's out of the ordinary, that's when they're going to say, okay, you know, last year he only claimed, say, $1,000 of expenses. And this year it's 2000 Well, you know, it doesn't make sense. And if there's a big jump, maybe COVID will be the reason. And that may be totally legit. But if it's not, they'll say, okay, well, you didn't have that. You can't claim the whole great room because your office is only a small portion of that. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Now, commission employees are totally different. They also get to claim part of the home insurance, property taxes, and the lease on a cell phone, computer, laptop, etc., on business machines, basically. So there are some extra, extra perks if you're a commission employee that you get to claim that a salary employee does not. And then there's another level, and that's for self-employed individuals. And those, those people... They're self-employed. We'll get a portion of their mortgage as an example. Um, that, that will, though, we'll have to learn about on planning your financial future on Saturday morning at 8 a.m. because we unfortunately are flush out of time. But I love that you came on. I love that you explained this and, and tried to walk us through. And for the record, again, it, I am not encouraging and don't want anyone to think I'm encouraging anyone to go and try and rip the <laughs> thing off. But it's so complicated that if you overestimate or something, that's it. Anyway, you'll learn much more about this over the coming weeks on planning your financial future. Saturday morning, 8 a.m., 900 CHML with Don Fox. Don, thanks so much for doing this today. Really appreciate it. My pleasure, Scott. Anytime. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. I know if you look outside right now and you see five feet of snow drifts and snow is still falling here in Hamilton, you're probably not thinking, you know, I really feel like it feels like spring out there. I I mean, I just can't believe we must be just days away from the flowers blooming. No, it doesn't feel like that at all. But 
pitchers and catchers reported to spring training bases in Florida and Arizona over the last two days. Spring training is upon us. Spring is, it's here. I mean, it doesn't look like it, but it is here. And around here, most people, most people who are baseball fans, most interested in the Blue Jays, and they are a very intriguing group this year because a lot of changes on the roster, a lot of changes over the winter. The payroll has shot up. Will they be better? Well, I know someone who can probably tell us that, or at least give us some indication of where it might be going. Her name is Caitlin McGrath. She's a staff writer at The Athletic. She covers the Blue Jays, and she joins us now. Caitlin, thanks for doing this today. Hey, thanks for having me. And by the way, I will, before we get to the Blue Jays, I love your Twitter handle. If I've been to a ballpark, I've probably been lost inside it too. You, you got to tell me, what, what is the ballpark that you have been lost in and how badly were you lost? Um, one that sticks out is I got, it's not, it's not, not so much lost, but I got lost inside of Angel Stadium because um, I was there writing really late and I guess they had lost it from the outside and I was inside and I couldn't find my way. But luckily, there was somebody that was still there, you know, doing the final cleanups and stuff, and he was able to help me and get me out. But yep. yeah, it definitely kind of got lost trying to find another exit. Um, <laughs> so that's one that sticks out to me. But there will be many. I don't have a great sense of direction. <laughs> Well, Angel Stadium, the, the gates are just literally gates. They swing shut and then like padlock them. So yeah, if you're inside, it's like being inside a, a lion's pen or a jail or something, which yeah, you would have been there for days. Yeah, they go on a road trip, you ain't have never got out. Yeah, exactly. I'd never been to that park before. I think it was the first <laughs> time I was there too. So <laughs> quite an adventure. Oh, now I of know. Course. Well, it's good to know that you've got a Spinal Tap story that uh, that can apply to baseball. So there you go. Um, look, it's uh, we are talking, I can't believe it, we're talking about baseball now, but we're talking about a team that looks very, very, very different in a lot of ways from the team that, well, wasn't playing in Toronto last year, but that we saw at the end of last year. Um, I mean, how, realistically, how different is this team? When, when it comes right down to it, how different is it going to look? Yeah, it's going to be a different team because I think you would say that this team is now anchored by George Springer and that was their big sort of marquee signing. This winter, he is probably the best position player that was available this offseason, at least one of the top position players. He was perfect for the Blue Jays because he played center field. That was a position the Blue Jays really needed. And he's just got a bat that will really be um, great for their lineup. He uh, doesn't strike out a lot. He takes a lot of a lot of walks. He hits for power. He's typically a leadoff guy, so that gives the Blue Jays a lot of options at the top of their lineup. Um, and so he's really like the focal point of this offseason – um, what will make it so different for this team is, you know, they added other guys. Marcus Simeon's another guy. Um, you know, he's a guy that has had great seasons, coming off kind of a rough year, but in the past he's had really great seasons. He's a really well-liked guy. Those are two veteran guys, lots of playoff experience. So they just kind of lift the Blue Jays just from their skill level, but they just bring a lot of intangibles as well. And I think when you add veteran guys that have a lot of experience, uh, have gotten to the playoffs before. That just also helps the Blue Jays' young core because now you know guys like Bobichet, Kevin Bezio, Vlad Guerrero Jr. They don't feel like they have to sort of carry the whole load for the team. So it really just allows them to just focus on getting better. They're still young players. They still gotta uh, improve, get used to the major leagues. Um, and so it, there was this really important add to not just make the team better, but I just think like make it a more um, complete roster. Uh, and I think that will really help the Blue Jays this year. 
I've wondered since when Vlad Guerrero came up and you mentioned Angel Stadium, I believe his first games for the Blue Jays were in Angel Stadium um, a couple of years ago when he was first called up. And from the moment that he got called up to the Jays, he has been or was for a lot the focus of attention. Everyone expected him to be a superstar from the first moment. You talk about Springer. I mean, is part of this, this could help Guerrero because it will take some of the attention off him finally. He's not going to be the focus. All the focus is going to be on George Springer early, is it not? Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think that that can benefit Vlad. I think it could benefit um, Bo and Kevin to lesser extents because, um, you know, they are also kind of stars of the team. And, and don't get me wrong, like the Blue Jays want those guys to be leaders on the team. They want them to be like future star franchise type players. But just like having a guy like George Springer who's been through that, who's played with the Astros, has, was a one with the Astros, was a star with the Astros. So he kind of knows like what it's like to have the spotlight. He knows how to handle it. Um, and you're right. Like a lot of people will be watching him. A lot of people will be watching some of the new guys and just the Blue Jays just have such a, a full roster now that, that there will be less pressure on Vlad to, um, you know, carry the team. Um, at the same time, it also probably motivates him to, to, you know, to get better. Like, the Blue Jays look like they want to be a competitive team right now, and so they don't want to have guys struggling, and guys don't want to be the guy that's struggling on, on the field, right? So it could have a motivating factor if people, if players are good around you and everybody's firing on all cylinders sometimes um you know hitting they always say is contagious so that stuff can help a a roster as well we mentioned Springer and the attention and he's used to it how different would George Springer's arrival be right now if there were going to be full park or parks full of fans I mean there's going to be some fans I guess but because, you know, it, it, I know it's not the main storyline by any stretch, but there's a lot of fans around Major League Baseball that still don't feel they've exacted their pound of flesh for what happened with the Astros and the cheating scandal. And if you're playing in front of full parks, Springer's arrival may bring with it a whole bunch of different things than it might now when there's not that many people in the buildings. Yeah, that's a good point. And it's funny because I haven't seen that much mixed reaction from Blue Jays fans, and I wonder if it's just because the euphoria of seeing the Blue Jays get such a top-rated player. That's not something traditionally that has gone Toronto's way. Um, they don't usually sign guys like that. So no. I wonder if it's just like sort of the the excitement over the fact that it actually happened has kind of buried the fact that he's a part of the Astros scandal. Um, and, you know, I think he did give a pretty genuine apology a few years ago um, when it all went down, or I guess last year when everybody found out about it. So, you know, I think that uh, if there was fans in the stands, I'm sure you would hear some boos. I know there's people out there that don't love the signing, and I totally get that perspective too. But honestly, like, I really haven't seen that many fans, um, especially Blue Jays fans, like, disappointed in the signing or uh, disappointed that he's on the team. A little bit, but not so much. Are you surprised, leaving that part aside for a second, are, are you surprised especially considering the Jays, we don't know when or if this year they're going to be playing in Toronto. Are you surprised that Rogers was willing to open the wallets and pay the kind of money they were realizing that, you know, revenues are going to be a question. And as I say, we don't know about whether tickets are going to be sold at Rogers Center. There's a lot of things we don't know. It, It seems like a huge expenditure if you don't know what kind of money is coming in. Yeah. And I, it is a little bit surprising. I guess when you, hear Ross Atkins and, and Mark Shapiro talk about it 
they just constantly talk about the sort of long-term vision, the long-term plan that they had. And, and at this juncture of the team's sort of rebuild or um, road to back to competitiveness, this was kind of a point in time in which they really did want to um, supplement the roster. So they saw enough last year where, um, you know, they made the playoffs. Yes, it was an expanded playoffs, but they were playing a lot better. They looked like an exciting young team. And so, you know, the, the front office really wanted to strike right now and supplement that team. So, I mean, I don't, I'm not in the, the rooms with them, but I imagine the selling point was this, you know, this is when we go, go all in, or not so much all in, but this is when we make um, these moves to really help this team. It's going to be a, a down year for a lot of teams in terms of economic uncertainty. Maybe the Blue Jays has helped a little bit by the fact that Rogers is a corporate owner and they have a lot of other ways that they make money. It's not just the Blue Jays are their sole um, revenue point. So maybe they were they benefited by their ownership. Um, so I just think that they probably sold the long-term vision and that, yes, revenues were low last year or basically non-existent last year. They're going to be lower this year. The Blue Jays are selling maybe 15% of Dunedin Stadium, which is going to be like a thousand people or less. Um, so it's really not a huge amount of revenue. It's uncertain when they'll be making a lot of revenue again. But I mean, generally speaking, um, at some point they will. And so I think it's just like selling that long-term version that if we build a winner, the revenue will come. And we know that Toronto responds to a winning baseball team. We saw it in 2015. Yeah. We saw it in 2016. So I think it's just kind of selling that we got to add now. We got to make the team competitive and it, we will make up those revenues in time um, when things go back to normal and when we are fielding a competitive team. We were mentioning Vlad Guerrero a moment ago. I, I saw a tweet or a number of tweets today from people uh, covering spring training saying that they're saying that he's going to get a chance again at third base to show that he can play that position. Is that is that just a nod to him saying, "Look, we were." He looks like he's slimmed down over the over the winter. So, look, we'll, we'll as a thank you or as a congratulations for doing that, we'll give you another crack. Like, do you see any real possibility of Vladimir Guerrero plays third base for the Blue Jays this year? Um, yeah, I think that I I think I agree with what you said there. I think it kind of is um, a reward, I suppose, for him working so hard this off season. He really took his fitness seriously. He was posting on Instagram all the time, all his fitness pics and everything. So I think the Blue Jays are really happy to see that he put so much effort. He's really taking it seriously. Uh, and so, of course, they want to reward that. He's also such a young player for them, a potential future star for them. And so, you, you know, you want to treat that type of player well in your organization, right? You don't want to offend him. You don't want to hurt his feelings so early in his career. So, of course, the Blue Jays don't want to close that door. I think that in spring training, you'll certainly see him spend time at third base. Um, and I think that if he can do it adequately, I do think we can see him there in the regular season. Certainly maybe not if they're in the hunt in a playoff race in September and a game is really meaningful. They want their best lineup. Maybe he's the 18 at that point, um, just in case he's kind of a question mark defensively. But I just think they'll probably let him have a chance there. And it actually helps their lineup if he can play there a little bit because it just opens up more possibilities. If he's not at first, then you can have Rowdy at first, and then you can have someone like Teoscar Hernandez at DH, um, and then you can have the three outfielders playing as well. So it just gives him a lot of different options if he can play third, whereas if he can only play first or DH, it kind of clogs up those two positions where the Blue Jays actually have a lot of guys that can also play those positions. 
I mentioned his fitness and you mentioned his fitness. Now it's weird because you're not down in Dunedin right now, right? Because of COVID real, you have to do it from home. Um, has anyone really seen him? We've seen these photos and I assume that they are real. I mean, I, I, it would be pretty conspiratorial to say that someone's been photoshopping six packs onto Vlad Guerrero, but have we seen, has anyone seen the man to know that he really has lost all the weight that we believe that he has? Um, I don't know. Good question. I, I mean, position players aren't um, scheduled to report yet, so they're kind of trickling in. I don't actually know if Vlad is there yet. I know he does spend some time in Florida generally in the off season. Um, I would say it would be pretty, it would be a pretty big conspiracy theory that his photos are doctored in any way. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I don't mean that so much. Yeah, I don't yeah. mean that so much, and that was a little silly. But I mean, just the idea we've heard we've we've heard how slim he is, and it's it just after a couple of years of of him fighting this. I mean, it's amazing if he has, but seeing is believing, right? Yeah, and I think that Ross Atkins and Charlie Montoyo have been in regular contact with us, and they generally, whenever we have availabilities with them, um, Vlad comes up and we ask questions, and they are continuing to rave about um, his fitness and and the work that he's put in this off season and um, the dedication that he's had to improving. So I, I do think all signs suggest that he has put in a lot of work. Um, and I think that honestly, like I think he was disappointed in his first two seasons. I think he really wanted to be a great hitter. He wants to be one of the best hitters in the major leagues. He wants to be one of the best players. He's a really driven young player. Um, and I think he saw some guys around the league that were doing a lot better than him, quite frankly, like, um, you know, Tatis Jr., who just got the huge yeah. contract extension. Yeah. Even his teammate Bo Bichette really has performed very well, probably exceeded expectations. And so I think Vlad, um, I think he really was kind of motivated by that and wanting to be one of those guys, one of those young players that people are talking about around the league. So um, I think that in some ways it might help him that he struggled a little bit early on just because... Um, he's kind of been extra motivated. Now he has to go perform on the field this season. We'll see. But um, I mean, all signs suggest that he's doing everything possible to, to get there. Uh, yeah. If you're not motivated after seeing Tatis sign for what, 14 years and 340 million. So if, you, if that doesn't motivate you to be in shape and play well, then I'm not entirely sure what could. Um, okay. Very quickly. We only have another minute or so left here, but when are, were you at all surprised that when the Jays went, I won't say all in, but so far in with the Springer signing and spent that kind of money, that they didn't spend more, which sounds odd that, you know, we've spent a lot, but if you're going to go that far in, are you surprised they didn't go more in to get some more pitching, which seems, starting pitching especially, which seems to be the area where there's so many question marks still on this team? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I still would say that I really like the way the Blue Jays um, conducted their offseason. I think getting Springer and getting Simeon really solidifies their lineup, um, really gives them a powerful offense to the point where they could probably make up for some of the deficiencies in their defense and their rotation just with the lineup. Um, but yeah, like I think this, this pitching class wasn't the greatest pitching class in terms of free agency. Like There was a top guy, um, Bauer, and then there was a lot of other guys. And even some of those like mid-tier guys had a lot of question marks. Like You see guys like Jake Orderizzi, Taiwan Walker, they're not even signed yet. So that kind of suggests that teams have some question marks about them. They're still very good pitchers. They will get signed, certainly. But, I mean, the fact that they, no one was rushing to sign them kind of 
raises eyebrows a little bit, makes you question, okay, maybe some teams aren't big on them either. So I do think the rotation is a weak spot on this team. I also think they have a lot of guys that um, if things click right, they could be a lot better than yeah. maybe people think. Um, so like there are a lot of projects on that, ro- on that roster. Um, but someone like Nate Pearson is such an X factor, right? Like he could really blossom this year. He's their top prospect. Um, you know, uh, Keith Law, who I work with, um, writes about prospects. He said he has a ceiling of a number one starter. So there's a lot of potential there. Um, but, you know, it was curious that they didn't spend more on starting pitching. At the same time, I kind of see why they did what they did this offseason. And um, there's other opportunities there when they can add starters, whether it's the trade deadline or just next offseason. Yeah, and, and honestly, you know, spending the money, like what Trevor Bauer got from the Dodge, I mean, that was just, that was stupid. I mean, he's never going to be worth the kind of money he got. And so, I mean, I get not doing that one. It's, we'll see. Uh, we got to go, but you do have a brand new podcast out. I want you to be able to pitch that one and plug that one. If people are interested in Blue Jays baseball, where can they find your podcast? Yeah, we have a new podcast. Podcast. It's called Spin Rate. It's all about the Blue Jays. I host it with good friend Drew Fair Service. Um, it's on the Athletic app, but you can also find it on Spotify and Apple and wherever you get your podcast. It is um, miraculously unlikely. Un- it, it seems impossible, but it is time to start thinking about baseball, even though there's eight feet of snow outside and it's still coming down. Uh, Caitlin McGrath, really appreciate the time today. Thanks for doing this. No problem. Thank you. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.